sacrifice of praise to you this morning. Pray that you would meet with us here. Speak to each heart, each life. Father, you know what each one is facing here this morning. You know the secrets of each heart. And I just ask that you minister to each one here this morning according to your loving kindness. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the Hershey family was supposed to be uh, singing this morning, but as you can see, they are not here this morning, still afflicted with uh, some virus, I guess, they picked up in, in Thailand. And, uh, so we're all this, were there last evening and had a time of prayer with them, praying for God's healing. They are really... Uh, suffering through things right now and i'd like if we take a little bit of a time to pray for them this morning give the mic to phil and phil if you can lead us in, in prayer especially for the hershey family and, and others who uh, are sick yeah let's pray father we come to you in jesus name lord you you see um the the virus and the sickness that is in Saretta and brad especially in their bodies and Father, we just lift them up before you this morning and, and again pray that you would strengthen them in their inner man, their spirit, Lord. Strengthen them with that strength of your Holy Spirit. Give them grace, Father, to trust in you with all their heart and, and to commit their bodies into your loving care and to believe that you do love them and that you, you do have grace for them and you have a purpose. But Father, we also lift up their bodies and pray that you would heal them. Father, you see that they have served you. They have went, Lord, and ministered to many people in Thailand and in Burma and, uh, and just encouraged many souls and, and through that somehow picked up this virus, Lord. So, Lord Jesus, you said, he that serves me, him will my father honor. 
And we pray that you would honor them by healing their body today. And also by giving them grace and encouraging them through your word. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. as we sing or in between the songs as always feel free to share your testimonies your prayer requests and we'll take the time to pray and share however the lord leads i have a new team singing with me this morning so we're trying to switch things up here a little bit um in in the future and you can you can pray for us as uh, worship teams as we try to uh Put different things together and and uh, look at going different directions with with our music, adding a few things in. And uh, anytime anyone has any ideas or suggestions for us, please feel free to share that with me, with Carrie, or any any one of us. But uh, we decided to uh, add a few more voices to these tracks that we're singing with, and we'll see how it goes. This is our first time doing this, so uh, hopefully it. Sounds good, but uh, more importantly, hopefully it uh, is a joyful noise to the Lord. Sing Amazing Grace, my chains are gone.
this morning? Yes. Can I hear an amen? Amen. There we go. the power to raise the dead to save us from our sins it's raising us from both kinds of death and if you are raised from the spiritual death from your sin you will be raised to new life
a scripture reading before the next song. Do you have that, Phil? It's on the phone. Judd, come on up here and read some scripture. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you have not, do not see him now, believe in him. You greatly rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Thank you, Chad. Who's our living hope? Jesus. Jesus. Only Jesus. Amen. We'll sing the song, Living Hope. How great the chasm that lay between us How I love So great a man. 
Thank you. Can you see it? All right. Special welcome to. Maybe I should unmute the mic. All right. Good morning again. Special welcome to each one of you. All the regulars, those visiting, those online. It's good to have you all here this morning. Thank you for worshiping with us and singing and giving glory to God. Announcements. I'm missing my bulletin, but I'm sure there's some announcements in there. Um, I don't think there's anything planned for this week. We do have our normal uh, lunch after the service, so please uh, stay and enjoy that time of fellowship with us. Ah, do I have a bulletin coming my way, making sure I don't miss anything? Thank you, Tiff. Ah, couples night's coming up. Is that this week or next week? Next week, 24th. I'm getting my dates mixed up. This daylight savings time has me. Uh, whatever, whatever the day is, uh, March 24th. I'm gonna, I'm gonna blame it on the hour of uh, less sleep last night. Um, whether you want to believe that or not, that's up to you. Um, yeah, the next uh, men's Bible study is next week as well, and. As mentioned before, uh, we do have our youth retreat planned and on schedule for August 9th through 13th, so please feel free to spread the word about that as well. There's coffee, tea, and water back in the entryway there. Uh, please feel free to make use of that. And uh, if you are prompted by the Lord to... Give to the work of the church. Please feel free to do that in the box that is in the back there on the back wall. This morning, uh, Phil is going to pinch hit, I guess you might say, for the children's lesson. Since Carrie's were on for that as well this morning. I told Carrie they're just going to have to do the entire service next Sunday, I guess. Um, so, uh, children, come, come on up here. Where do you want them to sit, Phil? I'm sit up on the bench here. I think Phil's going to have a lesson for you. And then uh, Phil will introduce the uh, preaching time as well. Caden, come sit up here on the, on the chairs here. Is it mostly my kids? Got the Coper kids can join us. Come yes, on up. Come on up, sit up here. Phil will have a lesson for you. We're missing a bunch of our kids this morning, so... Thank you for joining us, Cobra Kid. It's good to have you here. I'm sorry I don't know all your names. You're going to have to tell me your names after church. Okay. Good. There's room for you up here. You want to sit there? There you go. Okay. This morning, I've got a Bible story for you that is about children. Yeah, that's exciting, right? Let me read it to you. It's in Mark. Chapter 10, verse 13. And they were bringing children to him, speaking of Jesus. Do you know this story? People were bringing their children to Jesus so that he might touch them. And guess what happened? Do you know what happened? This is what happened. Hey, Lukey, come here once, please. I know I'm surprising you, but you're good. 
with spontaneity. Okay. That I'm going to pretend here just for a moment that I'm Jesus. And all these people, they brought you guys to me so that I can touch you and bless you. Now, Luki, you go shoo them away. Tell them to get out of here. Tell them. No, 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 no. Hey, stop. Stop. You go sit down. Thank you. I love the little children. Did you know that's what happened here in this story? Listen. They were bringing the children to him so that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. Can you imagine these 12 grown men telling these little kids, Get out of here! No, Jesus doesn't have time for you. He's busy. That's what happened. And you know what Jesus did? Jesus seen it, and he heard it, and he got angry. Did you know Jesus got angry sometimes? It says... But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. You know what that word means? It's a big word of mean. He, he didn't get like mad, but he got angry. He was like, no. I would say Jesus got stern and strict with them. Like when you do something really bad and your parents say, no, don't do that. That's how Jesus got with his disciples. He said, don't do that. Let the children come to me. He said, permit the children to come to me and do not hinder them or don't keep them away. You know why? Because you are something. Who are you to Jesus? Are you special? Do you think Jesus thinks you're special in the church here this morning? I do too. Because Jesus said, the children... For the kingdom of God belongs to those. The kingdom of God belongs to you. All of heaven, everything Jesus is, belongs to you. It's yours. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it at all. So Jesus says to all of us big kids, big children, if you don't become like one of these little ones and receive the kingdom of God like they do, you won't even get there. So that's why, in case you ever think church is not really about you or for you, you're mistaken. Don't let the devil put that lie in your head. You are the church. Did you know that? You are this. You're a part of us and a very special part of every church service. So with this truth, I'm going to play a little video. I have Derek who's going to play a little video here by someone. And, I, and the reason I chose this video is because I want you guys to remember that you're special all over the world. Wherever God's people are, there you are special and you're needed. Okay. The Lord has gifted to teach the word. And so I've asked him to come and, and share. He's actually volunteered this time, which really blessed me um, to come and, and share the word. And so can I pray with you? And then uh, we'll give the time over to him. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you to stand in your presence and to tremble at your word. 
not only our brother who shares it, but Lord, I pray that you would put that Berean spirit into each one of us and cause us, Lord, to sit in awe of your word, your living word, empowered by your Holy Spirit and translated, interpreted into our hearts by you yourself through your spirit. So bless him with grace and Lord, I pray that he would be able to articulate and explain the scriptures in a way that even the children understand. Bless our brother for his willingness to, to uh, honor you and bless your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, it's good to be with you guys. For those who don't know me, um, my name is Judah Kofer, and my family's back here, so my wife Heather and all my kids, they're all J's, so you got Jude, Genesis, Geneva, Javen, Jack, and one on the way. We don't know if it's a boy or girl yet, so we won't share those yet, so you can't give us your opinion on the name. Uh, and yes, Genesis with a J, just in case you're wondering, and Geneva with a J as well. Um, my parents were missionaries, grew up, uh, we kind of went later in life, so I kind of, I grew up here in the States, out east. Um, and then my parents and family went to Mongolia when I was 12 and, uh, all my siblings, I was the oldest, all my siblings were younger than me. We went over, my parents are still there. They've been there for about 20 years now. And, uh, my wife was also, her family were missionaries. We actually met overseas. Um, she was from out here. And so we, uh, ended up out here. Um, Lord led us to a little Bible school that we attended out here. And then we ended up staying, um, out this way long term and, help plant a church over in Windsor that we're still a part of. So, um, yeah, this morning I really, um, what God has been laying on my heart recently is this idea of where are the prophets? Where are the prophets? Uh, The term that I want to kind of have sit in your mind is holding the line. We've been at our church In Windsor, we've been working through this series and this idea of holding the line in particular areas in this cultural uh, world and battle that we live in currently, in this cultural war that's going on. And it's not a new war. It's uh, just a regular spiritual warfare that's been happening throughout the ages. But um, certainly, I think all of us can look around and feel the weight and the pressure Uh, and the darkness of what's going on right now around us in this country and in our culture and in the world at large, that the enemy is on the move. And we know that that has happened throughout history, right? There's been dark, dark times, much darker times than even we live in today. Um, But there is a unique darkness in our country that is closing in. And it's at these dark times that prophets like Elijah were raised up, and they mocked the enemy. They mocked the uh, servants of the enemy. And God used them to declare, thus says the Lord. And today, we are called to hold that same line, to declare, this is what God says, not a new revelation, but the revelation of the Word of God that God has given us. And we say, thus says the Lord, on any given topic, Uh, That is raising itself against the truth of God today. And so I want us to think about this idea of holding the line. Of of really this idea of speaking hard truths. Speaking difficult truths. Truths that are 
hard to stomach, even for ourselves as believers, but definitely for those who are outside of the church. And we have to engage people with what I would call loving truth. We often hear, hey, you need to speak the truth in love, which is true. Uh, But you also need to speak loving truth, which is also true. And speaking the truth is love. And we'll talk a little bit about that. So let me pray for us here. Father, I ask that as I deliver and declare what I feel that you have laid on my heart and what I've seen in the scriptures, Lord, I pray that for myself and for each one of us here in this room today, that we would be motivated by your Holy Spirit to hold the line in our generation as men and women have passed have so bravely and boldly done, empowered by the Holy Spirit. I pray that that same Holy Spirit who have caused men and women to declare the truth, to stand and hold the line in the face of great difficulty and darkness and persecution, that that same empowering Holy Spirit would empower us today in our generation to do the same, to be bold and to be brave no matter the odds that we face. And so help us, Lord, today as we look at your scriptures to get some insight and some understanding that your word would fill our hearts and minds so that we may see clearly and obey fully. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So my goal today is really to bring the word of God to bear on this topic of speaking hard truths, which to me is at the center of the idea of holding the line in our generation. And it's engaging others with truth and with love and engaging them with loving truth from the Word of God. As you have probably heard before of the creeds and confessions and these short statements of truth that help us to remember and confess the truth. And the church has used creeds and and statements in short form from the scriptures for thousands of years, even in the early days before uh, there was regular access to printed Bibles, they would memorize these sections of truth, like, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and I believe in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, our Lord. I believe in the Holy Spirit, right? Three in one. They would memorize these because they didn't have access to the truth. Or one of the shortest creeds known uh, in the scriptures was this, this truth, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And they would declare that to one another. And they would, they would say to each other, hey, Jesus is Lord. And do you know what that meant? That meant Caesar is not Lord. And the reason that they said that was because... Emperor worship was taking place. That Caesar was Lord, and what Caesar said is what went, right? That was the truth. And you needed to burn incense to him, you needed to pay homage to him. And they said, No, Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And it was a short statement, summary statement, that helped them preach to their own souls and encourage one another. And that's kind of how I see. This idea of holding the line for us in our generation. Hold the line is a military term. It's the idea of not breaking formation and allowing the enemy to come through and especially get behind behind the lines, right? Behind 
the lines of the formation. And holding the line means not to yield to the pressure of a difficult situation, to firmly maintain one's viewpoint, principles, or situations. Isn't that just so anti our culture? Man, you need to have some open mindedness here. You're too rigid. No, we're going to hold the line on certain things. To refuse to change one's practices. The line that I'm really speaking of, and I hope that that's clear to you, is the line of truth. It's the line of truth. We don't just hold any line just because we think it's a good idea. It's holding the line of truth. And it's not just my truth or your truth, right? We don't get into that kind of argument. We don't hold our positions as this is my truth. But the truth, the revelation of God Almighty preserved in the Holy Scriptures. That's the line that we hold. Now, how do we know that's a line worth holding? And how do we hold it without being these prideful know-it-alls, which we're certainly going to be called that? And it's precisely because it's not our line. It's not our line. Holding the line of truth and holding the line of the Word of God, God's Word, we are called to do it, but we're not the ones who write it. We're not the ones who made the line. You, all, you might have heard, we just deliver the mail. We don't write the mail. Right? We're just deliverers. We're just speakers. But it's God's word and God's truth. Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. So what I want to do this morning is call us as God's people to hold the line in regards to truth. In our hearts, in our own hearts, in our own minds, in our families, in our churches, in our culture, in our country, and in the world at large. And what I hope I can do this morning is, in calling you to holding the line, is to convince you through the scripture that this is going to require us to get really uncomfortable. Right? It's going to require us to get ourselves in uncomfortable situations. It requires us to speak uncomfortable truths. Because not everything in the scripture is easy and comfortable. In fact, a lot of it isn't. And it requires us to speak up and speak out when sometimes no one else is. To speak up and speak out when very few are. And that's what the prophets did. That's what the prophets did. They declared, thus says the Lord, when all of the nation stood against them. All of the world stood against them. Very few listened to their words. And that is the type of world that we are quickly entering into in our country. Now, my first point is this, that we're in good company. We are in good company because Jesus himself was no stranger to speaking hard truths. So that's really the first point that I want to make to us this morning is speaking hard truth is necessary because Jesus spoke hard truths. Jesus spoke hard truths. There are two particular stories in the New Testament that have always sort of kind of baffled me. You kind of have to look at them again and again and, and think about them uh, 
a little more deeply maybe than just reading through them. And the first is in Luke 13, 1 through 3. Let's just go there real quick. Luke 13, 1 through 3. I just want you to be able to see this for yourself. He said this, There were some present at the very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all of the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Salome fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all of those who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. (laughs) Now, the reason this is so interesting is, imagine, get yourself into this situation really quick. You've got these people coming up to Jesus, and they're like, hey, Jesus, did you hear about these These people who are worshiping in the temple and Pilate came in and he killed them and mixed their blood with the blood of those sacrifices that were going on the altar. And he profaned God and 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 he murdered all these people when they were trying to practice their religion. Can you believe that? How would you respond if somebody told you? Hey, did you hear about what the what the president did? And he killed a bunch of Christians and mixed it with with uh, animals blood. And Jesus says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Or what about this major accident that happened over here? Do you think that those were worse sinners because they got into an 18-file crash and a, and a semi ran over their car and crushed them? Right? It's uncomfortable the way he responded to this. It's interesting. But what does he do? He brings it back to the spiritual reality. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus didn't show sympathy here. He just spoke the hard truth. And there are times when he shows compassion and sympathy. But there are other times when he does not. Matthew, the second one is in Matthew 15. 21 through 28. I'm not going to turn there, but you can do you can turn there if you want. But the story is of the Canaanite woman. Right? And the Canaanite woman comes up and and she wants she wants Jesus help and he says It's not right for me to cast the bread of the children to the dogs. Whew. I remember as a kid, I, I would, I, I, my dad read us this in family worship, and I remember, I don't even know how old I was, I must have been eight or nine, and just thinking, Dad, like, is that right? Like, why would Jesus say that, you know? And of course, there's, there's good explanations that you dig into, and you can actually learn what Jesus was doing there, of course. But my point is, is that Jesus spoke hard and difficult things. He challenged people in hard ways. How would you like it if you came up to Jesus as a Gentile and he said, I don't give my food to the dogs? How would you feel like if Jesus called you a dog? Probably get a little offended, especially in our country. 
So Jesus spoke hard truths. And these are just a few. Jesus said many hard things. He taught many uncomfortable truths that radically opposed both Jews and Gentile traditions and cultures. Hard truths like let the dead bury their dead. Matthew 8 and Luke 9. He, he says to this guy who says, comes up and says, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, okay, follow me. He said, well, let me, let me bury my dad real quick. Let me go bury my dad. He's like, let the bed bury their dead. You follow me now. That's uncomfortable. Right? We're like, well, anybody needs to bury his dad. It's uncomfortable truths. Or Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. That's uncomfortable. <laughs> not, not only would it be uncomfortable if Jesus called you a dog, but what about if he says... You're Satan. <laughs> You're speaking lies from Satan right now. Get behind me. He says many other things. Don't fear man. Fear him who has the power to destroy the soul and cast into hell. Or Mark 10, right? Whoever divorces and marries another commits adultery. And even the disciples in that moment, like, Lord, this is a hard truth. This is hard. How do we understand this? Matthew 23, you, when he called the re, re, religious leaders vipers, hypocrites, children of hell, children of Satan, serpents, whitewashed tombs, difficult things, hard things. The last one I want to draw our attention to, you can turn there, Luke 12, Luke 12, 49. Luke 12, 49, he says, I have come to send fire upon the earth and wish that it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and now pressed I am, it is, er, er, and how pressed I am until it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I have come to give peace on the earth? No. A lot of people think that of Jesus. No, I tell you, but rather division. For there will be from now on five divided in one household, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, and mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. As you can see, there's no shortage in this passage. No shortage of hard sayings. This is difficult. Jesus says, I haven't come to give peace, to divide. And there will be division because of the truth, because of the gospel. Difficult things in families. Hard truths to accept, to understand. Direct corrections, rebukes, strong calls to repentance. And much more we can see in the teachings and life of Jesus. You also see that there's definitely the same diligence to speak hard truths very present in the apostles' lives. Paul, Peter, James, John, their disciples, Titus, Timothy, Jude, in the early church. And in the call of God's word to us in the church throughout the ages. This has been evident in our spiritual heritage. If we look back at the history of the church. It's very evident that we have a call that we see in scripture that has been carried out and that we must also stand in.
So that's, that's idea number one right here. Jesus spoke hard truths. And we are called to follow in his footsteps. His apostles did. Their disciples did. The disciples of those disciples did throughout church history. Secondly, I want us to think and come to this idea of spiritual warfare. I want to bring us into the reality that there is spiritual warfare. And not necessarily the type of spiritual warfare that you might be thinking, right? Uh, We often think of of spiritual warfare in terms of the supernatural, right? Of, Of demon possession or angels and demons and... Um, demonic influences and oppression and so on. And this is certainly real. But just as real as those things is the real battle of the heart and of the mind and of the soul that happens in our, our thinking of truth versus lies, true doctrine versus false teaching. It's a battle of, of words and ideas. You could call this a common spiritual warfare, right? <clears throat> more natural way of looking at the spiritual warfare where we, we, we often, it's, it's so normal and it's so natural, we often don't even think of it as spiritual warfare. But it is. And we know that because Peter, for example, says, reject these sinful things which wage war against your soul. Right? Or when it talks about the armor of God in particular as well. It's really relating all of these things to That which is opposite of those things, right? Faith versus doubt, right? For example, righteousness versus unrighteousness. All of these elements of spiritual warfare and this common or normative way that the enemy is working out this battle. And it's really a battle of the mind and of ideas and of pulling people away into false teaching. And that's really the the core of what I want to bring us to today. If you go to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, there's a lot that we can read here. We'll start in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, first of all, know this. Isn't that a good call? Just, Just to take a moment. Know this. In the last days, perilous times will come. Now let's just read this for a second and think. Do we see this today? Men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Boastful, proud, blasphemers. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. Meaning homosexuality. And the whole LGBTQ plus whatever letters. Without natural affection. Truce breakers, slanders unrestrained, fierce, despisers of those who are good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Turn away from such people. Those of this nature creep into houses and captivate silly, which means foolish, women, who are burdened with sins and led astray with various desires, which is lust. They covet that which God has not given. Always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds and worthless concerning the faith. Think about that. 
We, we, we could look at certain people in our day and say, these people are worthless concerning the faith. That's a proper thing to say. It's a proper thing to say, to identify people who are worthless concerning the faith. Now, when I say people, I mean false teachers in particular in this context. But they shall, verse 9, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly will be revealed to everyone, as theirs was also, as John Brace and, John, and uh, Janus, who resisted Moses. Verse 10, but you have observed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my, my tolerance, which means forbearance and fortitude, love, patience, uh, persecutions and afflictions, which came to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, but the Lord delivered me out of them all. Yes, all of those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. This cycle. Verse 14, but continue in these things that you have learned and have been assured of, knowing that those, uh, knowing that from whom you have learned them, and that since childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith that is in Jesus Christ. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man or the human being, it's, the, it's men and women here, uh, of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. He continues in chapter 4, saying, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearance and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, meaning preparation, reprove and rebuke and exhort with all patience. Again, forbearance and fortitude. Patience here is the same word above as tolerance and teaching. For the time will come when what? People will not endure sound doctrine. Is that the day we live in now? They will not endure sound doctrine. But they will gather to themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. And they will turn away their, ear, they will turn away their ears from the truth and turn into myths. But be self-controlled in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist and make full proof of your ministry. So just think about that text, and I would encourage you later just to sit in that, chapter 3 and chapter 4, and even both letters to Timothy really are focused on this issue. But there's so much truth packed in here that we can, we can grab a hold of. And I just want to highlight four things real quick. Number one, the emphasis and priority on sound doctrine. Just how many times he goes over this, he hits this, this sound doctrine, be sound in the faith, be sound in the doctrine. 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 7, he, he reminds us this again. He says, if you remind the brothers of these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished by the words of faith and of good doctrine, which you have followed closely. Then he contrasts it. But refuse profane and foolish myths. Instead, exercise the ways of godliness. Again, in chapter 4, verse 11, he says, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. But be an example to the believers in speech and conduct, in love, in spirit, and faith, and in purity until I come. Give attention to what? 
the reading of Scripture, the exhortation, which is preaching, and the doctrine. Command these things, focus on these things, exercise these things, give attention to these things, pay close attention to these things over and over again. Again, verse 15, he says, meditate on these things. Give yourself completely to them that your progress may be known to everyone. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing so you will save both yourself and those who hear you. So the reason I want us to note this is because hard sayings, hard truths are intrinsically connected to and with sound doctrine. Sound doctrine equals truth, right? Sound truth is another way of saying it. Sound teaching is another way of saying it. Having strong, sound truth is the only foundation on which we can stand to speak what is true, to speak what is hard in moments when darkness is closing around and we are called to stand firm. So the second thing I want to observe about this passage is the danger of deception. And you would have seen it contrasted, right? So contrasted with sound doctrine is false doctrine. Contrasted with sound teaching is false teaching. Contrasted with sound teachers and those who preach sound doctrine are those who preach false doctrine and are false teachers. Jesus told us to beware of this. If you want to turn there in Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20, he says this, Beware of false prophets who come in in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. And then he goes on to say, you're going to know them by their fruits. You're going to be able to identify them by their fruits. And what is the main fruit that they bear? Yes, it is what they do with their life. It's what their disciples do with their lives. But it is mainly what they say. It's mainly the fruit of their words, the fruit of their doctrine. Titus 1, 10 through 16, he says this, For there are many, just catch that, there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers. They must be silenced since they are setting whole families by their teaching that they ought not to teach. Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to myths and the commands or teachings of people who turn away from the truth. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. So contrasted are the uh, with truth and with True teachers are these false prophets that are, that are teaching destructive heresies that must be rebuked. For 2 Peter 2, 2-3 says, false prophets, also, uh, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who secretly, and I want you to know this, when the Bible talks about these false teachers and false prophets, It often includes with that secret. It's subtle. It's going to sneak in. And it's going to try to to implant itself in a very crafty way. 
which is because they're of their father, the devil, who is the father of lies, who is crafty in his nature. They will secretly bring in destructive heresies. And many, this is sad, many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the truth, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. So here's the deal. False teachers promote and spread false doctrine, false ideas, destructive heresies. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2 says, Now the Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits. I want you to catch this. This is important. Deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. So what are these false words, these destructive heresies that these false teachers are, are projecting and are preaching? Deceitful spirits and teaching, teachings, doctrines of demons. Doctrines of demons. What are those? Well, broadly, broadly I would say, simply and basically, all of these come back to humanism. Doctrines of demons is humanism at its core. Humanism is from Satan himself. He's the father of humanism. Humanism is the exaltation of the greatest created beings, which is humans, to the place of God. Humans are amazing. We are made in the image of God. We are extremely special in creation and special in in God's heart, set above everything else. But humanism is taking that special creation and exalting it, making hum- humans and humanity God. That's what humanism is. It was the original lie in the garden, you can be like God. You can be your own God. It's the original lie in the garden. And it is the lie today in various forms. Reject God. Reject his ideas and embrace man and man's ideas. And little do we know as we do that, as a, as a nation and as people, as individuals, as families, as communities, little do we know as we reject God and reject his ideas and his truth and his teaching and we embrace man and man's ideas and man's truth and man's teachings that the serpent is behind all of those Ideas whispering them into existence and causing tremendous damage and destruction that we see all around us today. Because here's here's really important truth. Ideas have consequences. Ideas have consequences. Ideas have outcomes. Ideas are connect every action that you take is connected to an idea. And a thought, a belief. I often say you do what you believe. You want to you know what you believe truly? Look at your actions. Look at your actions and connect it. That's often where we have to repent. We go, God, my, I want to believe this, but I'm doing this. God, help me to repent. 
and to change what I believe by your grace because ideas have consequences. We are living in the practical consequences today in our country of false, demonic, humanistic ideas. And these get repackaged and reworded by various teachers, unfortunately, even throughout the church. Ideas such as Darwinistic evolution versus biblical creation in anthropology. Marxist critical theory versus biblical Christian theology. Atheistic identity and gender selection versus God-created biological design. Feministic role rejection and equalization versus God-assigned roles and orders. Social justice versus biblical justice, and on and on we could go. And those are big ideas packed with lots of things that we don't have time to unpack right now. But every truth that God has put in the scripture for us, the enemy is going to counterfeit. God creates, Satan counterfeits. God declares what is true, Satan will take and twist that. And just leave enough truth in there to make it really attractive. God creates Satan counterfeits. At the heart of all this is that reality that Satan counterfeits ideas and identities and inspirations that ultimately lead to idolatry. The worship of ourselves and of the creation and of creation itself rather than God. This finds its way in many forms in our day. It finds its way into the prosperity gospel, into progressive Christianity, into the self-love of I choose my identity and my purpose and my destiny and my gender and my boundaries and my everything. It's a me, 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 and I choose it all for myself. And feminism, or reject God's design and calling for me and my role in this world, or the opposite of feminism, chauvinism, of abuse, And men who are not submitted to God or any other authority in their life. Of humanistic parenting. I reject the fact that my children are born sinners. And reject God's design and methods of training and discipline and instruction. Including all of the anti-authority and child-led parenting methods that ultimately lead children to be their own little gods. No matter where we turn. Marriage and family, roles. All of it, Satan counterfeits. And he lines up his teachers and false prophets to say, no, this is good. This is from God. Here, let me show you. Many of these false ideas stem from a hatred of authority, which is ultimately a hatred for God. Because all authority comes from him at the core of, of many of these ideologies that we see pushed in the world today come from this idea of humanism and of this demonic rejection of authority. We reject God's authority. We reject the authority of God's word. We reject the authority of how he's called us to live in any area of life. And it's the demonic idea. Again, God creates. Satan counterfeits. 
God creates men and women and gives us an identity, a gender, a purpose, and a role. He gives us commandments and instructions and directions and boundaries. He gives us a calling and a destiny. And we are called to walk according to that truth, not create our own. When we reject God's authority articulated in the scriptures, we begin to buy into the counterfeits and we are aligning with the serpent and believing doctrines of demons, myths, and entering into this deception that Paul is warning us about, that are coming from these false teachers that, that grab a hold of something like feminism and it becomes egalitarianism in the church. And we could look at that in so many different ways and areas. Ephesians 4.14 says, No longer, it calls us, calls the church of Jesus Christ all throughout Ephesians 4 to be mature, to be strong. And then he calls us to this, No longer children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about with every wind of doctrine. By the trickery of men, by craftiness, with deceitful scheming. When we look around and we see all this, we can get discouraged and angry. And sometimes being angry about these things is not bad. It just depends on how you use it, how you channel that. Because God is angry. God is angry with the wicked every day, the scripture says. But what's even more important than getting all out there and getting upset and, 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 you know, getting discouraged and hiding in a corner and just sitting down with people who are all like-minded and, and uh, complaining, even more important than all that is getting in the Word of God. Amen. Getting in the Word of God because it's in the Word of God that we discover a biblical worldview. And the truth about all the fundamental and philosophical things of life. Truths about all the principles for what it means to thrive as human beings, as his creation. And the truth about how we are called to live as image bearers and worshipers of God. The one true creator God. And it is in the word of God that our powers of discernment will be tightened and sharpened and strengthened. To be able to sniff out every evil one and be aware of his cunning and deceptive lies. Ephes or, uh, Hebrews chapter 5, uh, 11 through 14 says this. He says, concerning this, we have much to say that is hard to explain. Since you have become hard of hearing. For though by now you should be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And have come to need milk rather than solid food. And then he says this in verse 13. Hebrews 5 verse 13, everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness for he's a baby, but solid food belongs to those who are mature for those who through practice have powers of discernment that are trained to distinguish good from evil. And that's my call to us this morning that not only is there this call to speak hard truths in this, the midst of this spiritual battle. But as we see this call to sound doctrine and this warning against false doctrine and false teachers, we have this call to have discernment, to be able to, to look at something, even a, a teacher who's saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, 
and this is what the Bible says, and to look at that and go, is that really what the Bible says? Are they really speaking what God has laid out in the scriptures? Is that true? And to be able to divide between what is right and wrong, what is good and evil, what is, what is a doctrine from God's word versus a doctrine of a demon parading itself around as something from God. Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. See to it, church, that, that no one takes you captive with these deceptive philosophies and teachings. The third thing I want us to see in this passage is the source of sound doctrine is what? Did you guys catch it? The Word of God. All Scripture. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Inspired by God. Second Peter establishes, establishes this as well. And we could spend so much time talking about the authority and accuracy and sufficiency of God's Word. There's so many teachers. I'd love to talk to people about that. There's so many good teaching out there on this. But, but we have to understand that, that truth and, and doctrine come from God, inspired through the Scriptures. Second Peter 1 says this as well. In verse 16 it says, For we have not followed cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. And then he, he, he declares this idea throughout this whole passage that we have a more reliable word of prophecy which you would do well to follow because no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy at any time was produced by the will of man, but holy men were moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. Titus, he says, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. First John 4 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Examine all things. Hold firmly to what is good. And so if we look at the source of truth, being from the scriptures, then we will be able to resist the teachings and philosophies of the age and the spirit of the age by refusing to worship the idols and ideas of the age and instead testing them and examining them and rejecting all that does not align with what is according to God's trustworthy word as taught in the scriptures. The fourth thing, is really this question of how do we fight against doctrines of demons? How do we fight against that? Yes, it is by recognizing the authority and sufficiency and resting in and looking to God's word. And it's by abiding and remaining grounded in the word of God in text and in person, Jesus Christ himself through the Holy Spirit, that we would be fully equipped But you'll notice here in the scripture that we just read in 2 Timothy, he says what? Preach the word. Preach the word. And you see this idea throughout scripture. In Titus, he says as well, teach what accords 
with sound doctrine. Show yourself in all respects to be a matter of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be uh, uh, condemned. So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing to do, uh, nothing evil to say about us. Declare these things, which means preach the word. Declare the word. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. I'm sure you've heard. As, as we preach the word, we are called, in a sense, to be prophets. The prophets of God throughout history have declared what? Thus says the Lord. Right? The word of God. Thus says the Lord. Friends, we don't need to seek a new word from the Lord. We have the word of God. Amen. We have the word of God. And we go to this word and we declare, thus says the Lord. This is God's word. This isn't my line. Right? As I said before, I didn't write this word. God did. I'm not holding my line. I'm holding God's line that he's called me to hold. He's called me to stand here. And I'm holding his truth, not my truth. And we can be confident in that reality. For as long as I've loved quotes, I have loved this quote by Edmund Burke. And I'm sure you've heard it. He says, The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. I'm just going to modify it a little bit and say this. Evil triumphs when God's people do nothing. Evil triumphs when God's people do nothing. And especially when God's men do nothing. When God's men who are called to lead and to protect and to provide, especially in matters of truth, do nothing. And they sit by passively, not saying anything, not standing for what is true and what is right. It's exactly what the enemy wants. And evil will thrive and triumph in that type of atmosphere. And I love this quote because it gets to the heart, the simple heart of the matter. That evil in word or deed will flourish and triumph unless men and women of God actively wage war against it. That's what we do. That's what we do. We wage war against the demonic and humanistic ideas and ideologies and philosophies that aim to rise itself against the knowledge of God. A lot of people don't like the, the war language in Christianity. In fact, we hear it all over the place. Why is it so much of this war language that Christians use? Well, that's because the Bible uses war language. That's because God uses war language. We are in a spiritual war. We are in spiritual warfare. And yes, although some people throughout history have confused that with physical warfare, which is not accurate, it doesn't mean that we lay down our swords and think, oh, yeah, there's no war. There is a war. It's a spiritual war. And we are in spiritual warfare as we speak. As we live daily, we are in a spiritual battle. And that is my primary application that I want to call us to this morning. Is that we wage war against demonic and humanistic ideas. 
God calls us to that. And as we, as we think about the fact that, hey, Jesus, Jesus spoke hard truths in uncomfortable situations, right? And, and we look at Paul teaching Timothy, hey, there's going to be men and women like this who, who are deceiving and being deceived and teaching and preaching false things. And, and there's this need for sound doctrine to be rooted in the inspired word of God. And you, Timothy, are called to be the prophetic voice of God, to preach the word in your generation. And I will tell you right now, that's warfare. That is what it means to wage war against demonic and humanistic ideas. And the enemy will come after you for that. And he is fighting as hard as he can to silence those who would stand up and speak the truth. And I'm not just talking about speaking the truth out there. I'm talking about speaking the truth in here as well. And in here. In your own heart. Right? And you see this with David, right? You see that David saying, rise up, oh my soul. <laughs> Why are you downcast? Preaching the truth to himself. Calling himself into obedience Practicing discernment, not just for other people. <laughs> remove the log out of your own eye before you remove the speck out of somebody else's eye. Yes, we have to speak the truth to one another. But we have to first be speaking the truth to our own selves and our own hearts. Leading our own hearts, protecting and guarding our own hearts. Second Corinthians, if you want to think about this warfare. Second Corinthians 10. Go ahead and turn there. Second Corinthians 10, 3-6 says... For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but, uh, but have divine power to destroy. Okay. Why all this warfare language? Come on. Jesus is about love. God is love. Well, my Bible says destroy. And uses that language. My Bible says, weapons of our warfare. So we're going to use that language. And we're going to talk to our own hearts about the reality of how we are engaged in spiritual battle. And that if we don't engage, we will die. We will die spiritually shrivel up and die. And we actually see that all around us. People who professed faith, who stood in pulpits and preached for years, 20, 25, 30 years rejecting the faith. Saying, oh, I don't know if I believe in God anymore. Certainly don't believe in Jesus. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion rise, raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought. You know what that word thought means? Idea. Idea. Every thought, every idea captive to obey Christ. Being ready to punish every disobedience when you're Obedience is complete. So this is really the big 
application, the big idea of what I want to get to, it's my primary call for us. It's just, if, if we come away with nothing else, it's that this reality is true, that we must wage war against demonic and humanistic ideas in our own hearts, in our families, in our churches, and in our world. We are the ones called to do this. We are the ones called to be the prophetic voice of God, to speak and preach with authority. This is what God has said about whatever issue we want to face. There's plenty out there. This is going to happen in two big battlefields. I'll just categorize them in two big battlefields. Number one, in here, privately, in your own heart. And number two, publicly, like the shared spaces. And I'll, I'll comment on that in a second. But first, the first battlefield in your own heart. Ephesians 6 says, Finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that what? That you, that you may be able to stand. The call here that Paul is giving in Ephesians is for us individually. And yes, as a church, we put on the armor of God in a sense when we all are wearing the armor of God. But, but this call is to us individually. It's that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. This is, this is warfare that we're called into, putting the armor of God on for our own hearts, for our own minds, for our own souls. And then by extension, especially as, as men, but also as mothers and women with, our own, with your children. That we are called to be on guard, especially when you, when you saw, I'm not teaching on this topic, but, it, but it's fascinating to look at even when, when uh, Paul was talking to Timothy here and elsewhere in 1 and 2 Corinthians, where there is a danger for women to be deceived even higher than men. There's a call in Timothy there where he says, listen, these false teachers, they sneak into homes and they're, they're deceiving these foolish women. Men have a tendency to be passive. Oh, just sit back, relax. Right? Women have more of a tendency to try to step into that role of leadership and of dominance. It's kind of like the Jezebel and Ahab spirit, right? Ahab just kind of, I'll oh, sit back. And Jezebel, I'm going to kill the prophet. I'm going to do this. I'm going to control this situation, right? And men can have a Jezebel-type spirit as well. And women can have an Ahab-type spirit as well. But in general, that's the general patterns. And, and so it's easier for women to get deceived by certain doctrines of demons. Just like on the other hand, it's easier for men to sit back and be passive and not step up into the responsibility that God has given them. Both are equally bad sins. One is not better than the other. And both have destructive consequences. More on that a different time. But for now, as men, we put on the armor of God. And as women, we put on the armor of God. And we fight against destructive heresies. We fight against ideas that the, the enemy wants to get in. And to begin to subtly change and twist what God has said. Proverbs 4.23 says, 
Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. But it's not just a private battle. A lot of us will get comfortable in that, right? Where we'll say, hey, I'm putting on the armor of God. I'm, I'm getting my heart good. I'm getting my heart right. I'm getting my mind right. I'm, I'm, I'm repenting of sin. I'm, I'm fighting against sin. I'm killing sin. As John Owen said, right, I'm killing sin before sin kills me. And we do that private battle. And sometimes we can do that well. But then there's this whole world over here of the public, the shared spaces, the church, the marketplace, the culture, the government. And we get a little, we get private. You know, that's exactly what the enemy wants. The, the enemy wants to say, hey, your space over here as Christians is in the corner. And you just, you can believe whatever you want to believe as long as you're quiet about it. And you keep it in your home, you keep it in the church, the four walls of the church. But as soon as you poke your head in here, bo- separation of church and state. You can't speak that over here. And the enemy hates it when Christians begin to speak out. But Christianity is not only concerned with the private and inner life. It's not a private religion. It's a public kingdom. The kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ is a public endeavor. We are, as Christians, the light of the world, the salt of the earth. We are ambassadors, Christ ambassadors, ambassadors from another kingdom to represent the will and desires and agendas and truth of that other kingdom on earth. That's what we're called to do. And so what does that look like in, in, in public life, in these shared spaces, the public squares, it's often called? I just want to give you a few thoughts to think about, and then we'll wrap it up. This public arena of warfare happens primarily in the church. So when you, when you have your private life in order, right, you're putting on the armor of God, you're fighting, now you've got to step out into the body of Christ, and you've got a role to play. Jude... 3 and 4 and 8 and 16 through 23, uh, the church, really the gatherings of God's people, he says, you know, actually, I'm just going to read Ephesians 4. I think it's even a better example here. He says, he gave, he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God into a complete man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of man, by craftiness with deceitful schemings. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up into in all things unto him who is the head, Christ himself. From whom the whole body is joined together and connected with every joint and ligament. So that every part effectively does its work and grows, building itself up in love. And then in Jude, just to go back there, he's talking about this idea of keeping ourselves, building ourselves up in our holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping ourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. 
To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment that is stained by the flesh. And so you see this idea of as you build yourself up in love and you pray in the Holy Spirit, you're engaging then with the body of Christ by what? Speaking the truth in love. That our, that our private faith then works itself out in our engagement with the body of Christ. And, and part of that is identifying and calling out and rejecting false doctrines and false teachers is part of loving others. Listen, if you see somebody going down the path, like I, I have a brother in Christ. His wife left him because she was reading a few of these books uh, that were from a terrible teacher. And she just decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to leave my husband. Good man. Good family. And I've seen the opposite. Husbands who reject the truth of God, buy into lies by either pastors or books that they're reading that somehow justify that they can leave their family, leave their kids, and go off and do their own thing instead of being the men that God has called them to be. Weak, passive men. Both of these come from destructive ideas. Lies. Heresies that often get wrapped up in some kind of spiritual truth that looks really good on the surface. And when we see men and women in our own lives who are going down that path, man, we got to call them out. Even if they decide to reject that call and go their own way, we need to be the, the ones that say, brother or sister, you are believing lies. And that's going to end in destruction. We are called to love others, especially those who are young in the faith or weak in the faith. We have to protect. An example of that is in Galatians 2 where Peter came to Antioch, and, or Paul did, and, and uh, he saw Peter and... Peter wasn't walking in the truth. And so you know what the scripture says in Galatians 2. He says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Peter, I mean the, the rock, right? The pillar of the church, the main leader in the early church. Paul says, opposed him to his face because he wasn't keeping in step with the truth. There's many examples of this. Uh, Acts 18, there's a guy named Apollos. And it says, when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing that the scriptures, that by the scriptures, that Christ was Jesus. So the scriptures are primarily concerned or spend the majority of the time calling, commanding, and equip, equipping Christians to be mature, to think biblically, which means doctrinally sound, and to help one another be healthy and strong, built up into Christ. And as the scriptures have instructed us, we do this by teaching, encouraging, exhorting, admonishing, correcting, rebuking, and so on. All the one another scriptures in the, in the passages that They'd say, this is how we ought to work with one another in order that we may be mature people, not tossed to and fro like children by every wind of doctrine. 
Now, I know that this can get hard, and I just want to give a, one, a brief word on this. It does get tricky because not all issues are of the same importance and significance. Okay? And those who heard me, I think last time I preached here, I preached a little bit about this, about primary issues versus secondary and so on. But not all issues are the same importance or have the same emphasis in Scripture or clarity in Scripture. And so throughout the ages, Christians have sought to provide help to know when and how we should divide over doctrinal issues. Uh, one German theologian, I like how he says, he says this. He says, in essentials, unity, and non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. It's a great little summarizing statement. Um, and this is a great foundational point to think from. And there's, there's also um, good ways of dividing or thinking about systems through which we can think about primary versus secondary issues and even tertiary issues, along with even a fourth category of little importance issues. And uh, oftentimes, I like to, to talk about this, review this in close-handed versus open-handed issues. Um, close-handed issues meaning all Christians must believe these things to be faithful to the clear teaching of, of, of the Bible, of God's Word. And open-handed issues are non-essential issues which can be discussed and debated as family members. Right? As brothers and sisters in Christ, not as enemies. And this is not necessary, you know, this is not easy and it's not a uh, necessary work to always be dividing amongst ourselves. But what is important is that when we come to each other and we see each other going down a path that we're worried about, that we voice that thing. And it doesn't, even, it doesn't mean that it's a primary issue and they're going to hell if they believe something different in this category, right? But what it does mean is that we're not afraid to say, hey, this is what the Word of God says. You're saying this. You're going down this path. You're reading this person or listening to this podcast or this video, and that's concerning. We should be brave enough and have openness enough in our lives with one another to have discussions about those things. And, and together to go back to the Word of God and say, well, what does the Word of God say? What does the word of God say? And to help and warn each other when we feel that somebody is veering off of the path. The final kind of area that I want to remind us in is there's this area of the marketplace and or I'm going to combine them the government. And... What I want to encourage us is in is as the days get darker, as the days get darker, we're not only called to speak truth to our own hearts, to our families, to one another in the church, but we are also called to speak the truth in the public square. And there's been plenty of times throughout history when men and women of God have been fed to the lions. We'll just use that as an example. Fed to the lions, burn on the stake. Put to death for even some things that we might even put in the secondary category, okay? Right? They, they died for that. And we're like, oh, that doesn't matter. That's a secondary issue. It's like, well, this guy thought it was important right? because he died for it, burned at the stake for it. And what I want to call us to is that Paul declared the truth 
in the marketplace. He saw the idolatry of the people and he declared the truth. He went to the Areopagus with the philosophers of the day and he called them to the truth. He preached the gospel. So not only did Paul preach in the private sectors of homes and churches and in the synagogues, but he preached in the marketplace and he preached in the, 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 the places of learning. Uh, our day might be more like the universities. And he preached before the kings as well, before the government spaces. Not everybody's going to be called to the same thing. But what I want to end with is this. We are called to speak the truth in all areas. That starts in the privacy of our own hearts and homes, but it ends in declaring God's prophetic truth in the world. Thus says the Lord. And we got to be careful that we won't mix our own opinions in there. Just say it like it is. This is what God says. This is his word. This is what God thinks on the topic. And when the world says, no, you can't speak into gender. You can't speak into identity. You can't speak into marriage. Separation of church and state. We go, no. All the world is God's world. All government gets its authority from God. And I'm going to declare God's truth in every situation. Because that's part of us waging war against the demonic ideologies and philosophies that come from the enemy himself. Trying to deceive and bring more and more people into his kingdom and into his agenda. Let's pray. Father, I ask that as we as your people and as your church. Lord, as we seek to be faithful, that we would consider that not many are powerful according to worldly standards. That not many of us were called of noble birth, as Paul says. But you've chosen the weak things of the world, the simple things, the simple people, You have chosen us to be your people, to be your prophets in the world, to speak the truth. And Lord, I pray that we would know as we speak the truth, as Paul said, all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Lord, I pray that as we speak the truth, we would be strengthened to know that we will face persecution, sometimes even from our own families. We will face hatred. But Lord, I pray as we face persecution, you would strengthen us, knowing as your word says that the righteous are as bold as a lion. And Lord, help us to be bold. Help us to be bold to speak the truth into our own hearts, into our own families but also bold to speak the truth in all situations, even in the face of being mocked and ridiculed or maybe even one day in the near term, near future, of being imprisoned or worse. Lord, as the days get darker, I pray that you would strengthen your people to not be afraid, to have discernment, to be able to call out false prophets and false teaching to be on guard against it and to stand on the backbone of the word of God. 
Help us to hold the line in our generation. That future generations may be able to look back at this time and see men and women of God speaking hard truths. Speaking it with love and humility, but not without boldness. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mike, there you go. Thank you, Brother Judah. The word of the Lord through Ezekiel, he was one of those men when most of Israel was saying, peace and safety. Ezekiel was one of the rare prophets in his day who spoke the truth of God to the nation of God. And he spoke this in Ezekiel 22, verse 25. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in her midst, like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured lives. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in the midst of her. Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the profane. And they have not taught the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they have hid their eyes from my Sabbath. And I am profaned among them. Her princes within her are like wolves, tearing the prey by shedding blood and destroying lives in order to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have smeared whitewash for them. Seeing false visions, divining lies for them. Saying, thus says the Lord God, when the Lord has not spoken. The people of the land have practiced oppression and committed robbery. And they have wronged the poor and needy and have oppressed the sojourner, the stranger, without justice. And I, God says, God does something. God is not passive. And I searched for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one, not even one man. Thus I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their way I have brought upon their heads, declares God. The Lord's been speaking that word strongly to my heart. God is searching today in our generation for a man, a father, who will stand in the gap for his family. Where are those husbands? Where are those fathers? Many of them are defeated by sin. 
in their own personal lives. And so they're passive. Football dads. That's what I call them. They're not passive when it comes to football. But they're passive about all spiritual things for their children. They're passive about gaming and all the entertainment and all the, the profane, unclean things in their homes. They're not willing to stand up and lead their families because they're defeated. We're not willing to stand up in the church and lead the church because we're defeated. We're not willing to go out in the marketplace and die for it because we haven't died in here yet to it. Thank you for that word. We need it, brothers. We need it, sisters. And unfortunately, we live in a, such a broken world where in the church so many men are defeated. You know, we, you go to Asia and Russia and in many other parts of the world, and you see this is a common thing in society. The men are drunk, and the women are the leaders in the homes and in the churches. In the Western world, the men are drunk with money, addicted to pornography, or drunk with beer. Football dads, drunk with sports. The devil doesn't care. Just get the men drunk with themselves, their own interests, their own lusts. Let the women be alone in leadership. And I got the kids. That's what the devil says. I got them. A good chance at them at least. <laughs> but my heart is full of courage because... As some of us brothers are starting studying this book, The Heart of a Warrior, starts with being a beloved son of God. And God is looking for men whom he can pour his love into and raise them up strong in the love of Christ, looking into his word for guidance and the fathers bring up the children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, not the mothers. The mothers are helpers of this joy, but the fathers do it primarily. I believe in that with all my heart. And I'm walking with that with all my heart. And my goal is to build that in this church, in this community, the marketplace, all over the world, to encourage it. To build it up. To call it out. Because that's where the devil is ruling, destroying wholesale. Well, thank you. That's my little sermonette. Amen to it. You know, the Bible says to do that. It says, when one prophet speaks, the other one should say an amen. First Corinthians 14. So, just obey the, just obey the word. Who cares about the time? Persecuted church in China. Amen. Persecuted church in China. If you go there, you might fall asleep. Or you might be bored out of your mind. And your butt sore. And your knees sore. Because a two-hour sermon is normal. 
That's what they want. I was reading a book, a new book written, Asian Harvest, by Brother Paul Hathaway. You should read it. I'm giving it to Kerry because he's based in, in Chiang Mai, Thailand, and the Kerry's going there. And uh, I, I'm praying and hoping to go there with Kerry and touch base with him. And, but he himself says he's worked with the Chinese church for years and years. He's now an old man. And he said, as a Westerner, when you go to their church, you know how they start church service? Can someone guess? Prayer. Prayer. They're up on their knees, weeping, crying before God because they're desperate for help. They're desperate people. And he said, sometimes I'm there and I'm on my knees. My knees are so sore. I can't hardly feel them. And my legs are falling asleep and, and I'm, I'm prayed out. I don't know what to pray anymore. And they just keep praying. And then they get up and they just keep preaching. And then they just start singing. They don't stop. Like the revival that's been going on throughout the colleges. Worship 24 hours a day. How many days? Still going. We have a birthday celebration this month that we missed. And we want to sing a happy birthday. Derek, do you have those slides? We want to celebrate those who have been born and... uh, are serving the Lord among us and have birthdays. So, a very special happy birthday to Lucas Lapp, Judson Yoder, Jamie Chilton. Is he here? No, he's not here today. Anika Gomez, she's not here today. And Jenny Fowler, and she's not here today. But we're still going to thank God for him and bless him. And I just want to read one verse to you. It's maybe two, but a word that God told Israel to read over each other. And this word has been a word the Lord has been putting on my heart um, to read to people and bless each other with. In Numbers chapter 6, verse 22, since this is your birthday... Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you. The Lord bless you. And keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. And be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you, on you, and give you peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel, and I then will bless them. That's the birthday blessing. We're to give to our sons, to each other, to our daughters. Let's sing happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to all of you. Happy birthday to you. May the Lord keep and bless you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.
How's that tune? Happy birthday. All right. Let's not let the food burn either. Let's rise our feet and, and have lunch together and bless the Lord. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your, your bread from heaven this morning. I pray that you would not let one word fall to the ground, but that it would lodge within our hearts and it would be as good as the sandwiches that we're about to eat. Lord, that you would give us strength and spiritual encouragement and guidance and wisdom to go forth from this place to be men and women, young people who are willing to stand in the gap. To answer the call. Oh, give us grace, Lord, to stand in the gap and fight the good fight of faith. In Jesus' name, we bless you for those who have birthdays. Would you bless them and keep them and cause your face to shine upon them and give them peace. And we thank you for this food. And thank you for our brother Judith and his willingness to give us the hard truth lovingly. In Jesus' name, amen.